Welcome back to another episode of the Press the Damn Button podcast. My name is Brian Fanzo, founder and CEO of iSocial Fans. You guys are tuning in for our first guest uh, episode. And if you've listened to episode zero and episode one, uh, to me, so much of this show and my excitement for launching it was I have an amazing network full of amazing people doing amazing things. And I'm doing a disservice by not amplifying and, and sharing their stories and understanding what how they went about pressing the damn button, um, what presses their buttons today, and a little bit more than that. Um, so uh, before I introduce our guest, I know those that are watching live can already see her in there, but before I introduce our guest, I uh, got to give a shout out to uh, Restream. Restream is actually what we are broadcasting with here uh, across multiple different channels. We are on, get this, we are live streaming the podcast on two Facebook pages, YouTube, Twitch, Periscope and LinkedIn and the embed on my website, uh, all using uh, Restream. And Restream, uh, for those that you know, are looking for a way to kind of get their message out there, it allows you to stream live video to 30 plus social platforms all at once, all using uh, one through a browser. And the cool thing is, um, Aaron and I are actually doing the interview in the live studio of Restream. So this is 100% powered, sponsored by Restream. So there's no need for Zoom or Skype or uh, you know any of the other uh, interviewing or video platforms. We're doing this all native um, within uh, Restream platform. So if you guys are interested in checking them out, um, I do have a link that will get you guys um, a discount. Also, it'll show them the love. If you just go to restream.io slash join, slash PTD, PTD, which is press the damn button. Um, you guys can uh, check them out there. Awesome company uh, for those that, um, and this is actually, I think before Aaron and I met, but I, I used to have five cell phones, Aaron. I had five, <laughs> five on three different carriers because I wanted to be able to live stream to five social networks at once, but I also wanted to have different ones in different locations. Uh, and funny enough, I was in Vegas for, um, the technology of one of the technology events out there and we were doing, they were doing a car release and the only um, account, the only service that had was sprint and there was oh. 41 influencers and I was the only one that had cell service. Oh my and gosh. it was like, it made it worth that like alone just there. But um, so I used to stream with all of those devices. Now I can do all of that um, using restream. So for those that are watching live, I see Mike Ganino over on Facebook. I see uh, Sherry on uh, LinkedIn. I will make sure to post the that link um, in LinkedIn. I have to post that native on LinkedIn for the moment because uh, that is how they do it. But I will get that out there to you guys. So we're going to jump into this. And Aaron, you know, I kind of set you up a little little bit in the sense of uh, you're going to kind of roll with me. And, and Mike, who is watching, is, uh, gonna, is one of my guests that locked in. I, I did get his yes. calendar invite. And so for me, like, you know, not only is this about pressing the damn button and, and you know, and actually for those, I think we have to set it up. Uh, Aaron and I were in Laguna uh, having some cocktails, watching the, the, the sunset. And yes. uh, she was professing her, uh, her love for my uh, press the damn button and kind of giving me the nudge to be like, go all in on it. Like Heck people yeah. are talking about it. Why aren't you doing it? And um, not, I wouldn't say I'm stubborn, but it does take a little bit while to, uh, to kind of embrace things. But Erin um, King is my special guest. I refer to her um, as my digital twin, but I've done some research on her because we are pretty close friends, but there are some things about her I did not know, oh, uh, including the fact <laughs> she is a dual citizen, 
pretty darn cool. Her mantra is attitude of gratitude, which for me is the reason that she is the first guest because that's what the show is all about. Um, not only is she a dual citizen, but um, one of her, you know, very first sales was a, a series of TV commercials, um, spots to an, uh, an Amish furniture uh, maker. Amish. An Amish, 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 Amish. Yes. His name was Amos. Amos. And he oh. was Amish. Wow, they made a tongue <laughs> twister for us, right? Uh, for ten thousand dollars. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, Aaron's worked with some amazing clients, including the Academy Awards, the U.S. Navy, uh, Mutual of Omaha, Johnson & Johnson, Hilton, all of those great brands. Um, and her first venture was when she was 25. Um, when I was 25, there was definitely no possibility of me being responsible enough for being an entrepreneur. But you know, before we kind of get into that, and Aaron, um, we'll kind of touch on different parts of your bio and background. But when you think back about childhood. And actually, this is how you and I connected initially at National Speakers Association event. Yeah. Um, your love for sports, lacrosse, surfing, uh, my love for hockey, sports, surfing. But <laughs> when you look back on your childhood, what, how would you kind of, what would you characterize yourself as? Were you the, the jock that was friendly? What, what, what would you kind of put yourself in that bucket? Oh, well, I was friends with all the different groups just because, you know, just like you, you were president of your fraternity, I believe. Yep. Um, so I was our, it was called the Powder Puff Princess and that was our homecoming like queen person. And it was because I found all the different groups to be so interesting. And I was so ADD like you that I could not commit to one group, but right. I would say that if I had to like, pick a box and and who wants to be put in a box none of us but if i had to pick a box i was definitely tomboy jock no makeup did not learn how to do the lips or the hair till i was about 24 years old so played college across definitely like the skin knees you know the street hockey the forts the running with the boys kind of gal so so i'm curious from that idea like you know the uh, confidence the outgoing the you know would you say you were extroverted, I'm guessing, through growing up? Would you consider yourself an extrovert? Yes. Um, unfortunately for my parents, yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, my Actually, I, I can't find this picture from my high school. I'm just putting some juice in here. Hold on. Um, I can't find my picture from my high school yearbook or my grade school yearbook, but the, the we had to pick a quote. And it couldn't be a quote that anyone had said. It had to be a quote from you about your life. And this was back in the 90s where abbreviations were just starting to become a thing. <laughs> And so mine was, I love L-U-V, Avi. I love L-U-V to, number two, okay. talk. <laughs> uh, I loved that. I was like in eighth grade. I, I'm dying to try and find that picture somewhere to get a photo for my, my speaker marketing. But, yeah, my my but high yeah. school supportive was most talkative. So um, that wasn't... Did you twin? Yeah, there's definitely... Uh, and, and it's funny too, when you know, the more... You know, um, I've been lucky enough to hang out with um, you and your amazing husband out there in Laguna. Uh, we got to go on vacation together and uh, have some good times. We also, you know, speaker mastermind together. And it's yeah. funny how like things overlap and the way that, you know, people connect. And, you know, like one of the things too, like, you know, just in a generational perspective, like you remember your first AOL screen name? Yes, it was E-R for my name, Air Lax, L-A-X. Oh, yeah. First for lacrosse. For yeah. lacrosse. Uh, 10, my number, one zero. Oh, Airlax yeah. 10. What was yours? So mine was 
Voodoo 69. Okay. Oh, <laughs> right? But the, the, of course it was. Of the, course the, it was, hold Brian. On, hold on. Yeah, but listen to the premise though, because like when I did it, it was very innocent, Brian. Uh, Voodoo was the, the name of the select hockey team that I was a part of. We were the Virginia Beach Voodoo. And my birthday is June 9th. And so it literally was hockey name with my, and I remember uh, when I was going to switch the name and everyone was like, of course you're going to keep 69 in there. And I was like, of course. And I'm like, I'm still not sure why everyone's kind of playing into that. And like, so my, my next one was like um, roller hockey 69, yes. uh, which was like the weird. Uh, and then I remember when I was like going to apply for colleges and I was getting like the AOL address, I was like, you know what? I, I guess I probably should buy a hockey number. So I ended up being 93 at, at the end of that. And, uh, and I actually think like my first personalized license plate was voodoo, uh, 93, uh, because they went, the voodoo 69 kept getting blocked by the state of Virginia. Like there's something wrong with that, right? Like that's a, that's a piece of it. So, yeah. So, and I, and I love that, you know, um, everyone that's, you know, watching here, I've got people watching, uh, on LinkedIn, people watching on Facebook, all the different channels. And, so, Aaron, when we you know think about you know growing up uh, extroverted, talkative, kind of out there, you know, I yeah. mentioned earlier uh, your first endeavor, uh, first venture was Jump Digital Media yes. at the age of twenty five. Yes. Let's get before we get there. What before you were twenty five? So post call like that yep. twenty to twenty five range. What were you doing? What was the like? What was the thing that was motivating you at those times? Well, what I was doing was I was slinging TV ads. So it was a 100% commission sales job. So you didn't, you didn't sell, you didn't get paid, you didn't eat. So it was desperate times. And if you want to picture Anchorman meets the wire, sort of that's like, like, like Baltimore City TV station where the anchors are not wearing pants for real. And it's just hilarious. Spray tans, the white teeth, all the things. And so we had to basically call everyone in the entire Baltimore City phone book, which I did. And uh, you'd basically get hung up on, yelled at, screamed at. It was just like, if anyone here cold called back in the day, um, it really was awesome training. And it would take about, you know, 50 phone calls to get one person to agree to meet with you. And then you have to do about five in-person meetings to get one person to have you back. And then five more of those to close one deal. And then you got paid 20%. So it was brutal. I mean, we were just running all over Baltimore City, you know, 22, broke, driving through, you know, the hood um, in my dad's old car that he let me buy from him. And, um, it was just great training for meeting all kinds of walks of life, all kinds of businesses, super hard. Um, but it was something I wouldn't trade. So I was just hustling around and, and, uh, one day there was a promotion that was kind of up for grabs. And my counterpart was this guy and never forget his name. I won't say his last name, but his first name was uh, James, but I can't give his last name, but James, if you're watching, I remember you. Um, but so he was based up for a promotion and, uh, he played a lot of golf with the boys club and mm -hmm. I didn't. So I had better sales numbers. I was pretty confident that I was to get the promotion, but James got it. And in that moment, I learned number one, I got to become a better golfer like yesterday, which I did. <laughs> I'm still crass, but I, at least I tried. And number two, <laughs> I decided that I felt like it was just a little bit riskier to put my future and my hands and my success into anyone else's hands. And I learned very quickly at this organization that um, I really had to make the move and start my own gig if I was ever going to be able to have the impact and the success and the trajectory and the life that I knew I had to go for. And so I jumped ship and started my first company 
company, which was Jump Digital Media when I was 25 years old. Now, I'd love the story to be that now I was a millionaire and ran off into the, you know, the sunset and everything was great. False. It was a disaster. It was a train wreck. I was 25 years old. Just like you said, right. not good with money management, no business degree, just school of hard knocks. And within a year, I was getting uh, cash advances on my personal credit card so I could make payroll for my employees with children. Um, so it was an incredibly um, humbling and stressful learning experience. Um, you know, we got sued. Um, it was just, it was, I mean, I was 25 years old and I had like some big girl problems. Um, so after a year, I had to shut down the business. We were building websites, by the way, right. just like making websites. Um, we, we did some websites for like Whole Foods, Black & Decker, Linksys. We got some pretty big clients for being a, a small, young age. We lied about our age, you know, all the classic <laughs> stories, you know, and just bullshitting with like buzzwords left and right. But we learned a lot. I mean, we were, we were just building PHP websites, super simple. And, um, and then uh, from there, I went and got a job because I had to dig out of my debt that I incurred from being an idiot. Um, so my job was uh, running social media, the very first social media program for a company called Auction.com, which is like an eBay for real estate. Yep. So we started all their social media profiles. And I remember having to constantly explain in every single executive meeting why social was the next big thing, why it was so important. It was like the early days of evangelization was half your job. Nice. Um, but now their social media channels, auction.com, I mean, it's responsible for tens of millions of dollars of real estate transactions on social platforms. I mean, they are like right. the, the deals are originating there. So, um, you know, I'm still in touch with those guys and I'm really proud of what we built. So um, that was kind of where I got my start. So I'm curious. So like, you know, with press the damn button and, and putting yourself out there, you know, there yeah. is like the assumption of extrovert and willing to try things. Yeah. The, the idea, like I, I was trying to fathom, there is no chance in hell I would have taken a hundred percent commission job um, in my twenties, let alone my early twenties. Like, and I, like I, he was even thinking about that, like from like the jobs that I had. And you know, I worked um, at my family frozen yogurt shop through high school and managed that. But it wasn't you know, like my fa the family business. Yeah. Um, and but like even I worked for uh, Dish Network, the you know, the oh, team yeah, the satellite there, was on the customer yeah. service team. Oh god. And I remember the, the role that I had taken on, like we got lots of bonuses based on the ability to upsell Showtime and um, all those kind of things. And I was really good at that. But the, uh, the opportunities had been presented multiple times in a, you know, hey, this is, you know, we're going to reward you based on what you're doing. Yeah. And I never took the leap. What, what do you think? Like, what about you? Like you're growing up. What about your, you know, maybe, you know, thought process gave you the confidence to say, hey, I can, I can rely and be confident in myself to deliver and go hustle. Even if you weren't delivering, you took that chance and went after that. Like, what would you kind of, I'd say, you know, what do you think is responsible for that? Well, I was a terrible employee. I mean, horrendous. Like I never, never turned in the expense reports. My call logs were always late. I mean, you know, we're the same person, right? So it was like, yeah, yes. you know, and um, leaned way too heavily on my relationships. Um, you know, I just, you know, I, I, the more that they tried to make me do it their way, the more I just didn't want to. And um, I'm a black sheep in my family. My family is very traditional, very conservative. For example, my dad, Tommy G from Philadelphia, Thomas Vincent Gargan III, he, uh, he's had this, he had the same job. He retired a couple years ago, but he had the same job for 34 years, wow. same wife, which is my mother yep. for like 40 years. My dad's the kind of guy that if he, you know, if you go to an ice cream shop, like he went to your family's ice cream shop and you had 35 flavors, 39, how many do you have? A hundred flavors. I mean, you guys had, oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All that kind of stuff. Okay. He would pick vanilla. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So like, and I love my dad. My dad's the man. He goes so my dad's very similar, awesome, but he's, you know, 
He's trusty, steady, nicknames Brick. He used to have red hair, played football, Georgetown, super stud. But like my my whole whole childhood was very um, you know, I had a really lucky, stable. I'm so thankful and grateful and and humbled by the childhood that I had. But when I got out into the real world, it was just like this whole you know, we weren't allowed to have like junk food. You know, I'm like, oh, I was just eating Doritos and just running around and just like, there's a whole world out there to explore. So I think, so you, um, so that, and think so like, that, you know, yeah. because I think that, you know, I, I was, you know, Catholic growing up, uh, Italian dad who, uh, yeah. uh, he, in the candy business, he's, he worked a couple different, uh, owned okay. a couple different candy business side. Yeah. My dad was very much that same way and, uh, self-made, uh, didn't go to college, uh, you know, knew what he liked and went that way. Uh, yeah. always, been, we always went to like the, um, hole in the wall restaurant because it was always like his way of like, you know, giving back and, and yeah. wanting to connect those stories. Yeah. Um, were you, was, was your dad a talkative one like you or no? No. No, <laughs> no, um, no. I mean, my, my mom's a talker. My dad's not, my brother is super overachiever. I mean, he works for Google. He has three adorable kids. He was, um, there was an award at his, at his high school and it was, uh, for being an outstanding gentleman, scholar and athlete. And out of a thousand dudes, he got it. So he's just kind of like the golden, the golden child, you know? Um, he's, he's awesome. We, we love snowboarding together and surfing together. Um, my sister is 11 years younger than me. So same parents, just, you know, Irish Catholics. They just, you know, you know how it goes. We like God, Guinness and reproduction, procreation, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah. So, I mean, my family is, you know, huge Irish Catholic, like, like you said, and we're all huge talkers. And in my family, basically, you know, I have, I think I have 28 or 30 first cousins, just first cousins. Um, so just to be heard at family gatherings, it's kind of like whoever talks the loudest gets the floor. So it's a very, everyone is shouting at each other and it's total mayhem, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. I feel very lucky. So, so for those that are listening, like I want to jump forward to kind of the now, and we'll go back a little bit in, in okay. a minute. But like you know, those that would hear this, right? They you know, like they were like, "Wow!" So you're, you know, th- that outgoing, you had that that kind of growing up. You were willing to dive in things, take high risk. You would think like social media to you was always on on every channel, blasting everywhere, um, fully connected. But you were very grounded in the offline time, being self aware with what you like, um, the things that you know, kind of that balance also. Um, you know, being very dialed into your friendships and those connections. Yep. So, um, you know, first, first, and I think this is always one of those things where we make assumptions based on someone's ability to tell their story or put themselves out there. But yep. I don't really ever think those things kind of go across the board. So, I'm curious, you know, now when you, when, when people, you know, are finding out what you're doing as a, you know, keynote speaker, as an author of uh, Digital Persuasion, as well as a new book I know uh, you're working on uh, at the moment. Yeah. Um, but when you look at that, like that path now, like, what, are you the still the same person you think you were in those early twenties or the things that you're doing now you've kind of figured out that balance? What would you kind of look at? Cause you know, I, I think it is a kind of a fun transition, but at the same time, you're still the same outgoing, you know, passionate when we can't turn that off. Yeah, totally. You know, I mean, I, I have so many battle scars from all my different ventures that I feel like in business years, I feel like 65 years old. <laughs> so even though I'm only 38, I feel twice as old as that because of all the different ventures and, you know, investors and employees and payroll and just learning all the hard knocks and, you know, getting sued, losing big clients, gaining big clients, um, you know, just strategy and client management and leadership and the lessons that, that I've learned that were really hard to learn. I mean, being super broke, then all of a sudden being rich and then being on that roller coaster and then, you know, going through 
the current season that we're in right now with keynote speaking, with seeing, right. you know, we just drove from uh, Jackson, Wyoming, and we were cruising through Salt Lake City and Provo, Utah, which is my, my uh, gals are all a lot of the MLM direct selling organizations. Yep. And they're all on this one road, like they're on this <laughs> one. And so I was just like face up against the glass, like crying. And then we had to go through Vegas a couple hours later. So again, rinse and repeat, yep. we were supposed to get the Bellagio and supposed to be, you know, here and there. And so it was just a brutal uh, ride home to seeing all of the missed business that's just laying there because of the current reality. But, um, you know, I would say that like the biggest thing for me is, is switching my focus with each venture from, okay, this is going to be the venture. This is going to be the one. I have friends that work in Silicon Valley and Palo Alto. My husband works for a venture capital firm that's based out of Sand Hill Road in Palo Alto, yep. um, Camp, Camp One Ventures. And, and you know, they have founders in there all the time that I get to listen in to certain meetings. And even these founders that have, you know, created these unbelievable unicorn, almost unicorn level startups, they, they, they create this startup, they make all the money, they get all the fame, they're featured in TechCrunch, and then they turn around and they're 31 years old and they're completely lost because they it's almost like a child starts. Like they've done it all and now they're completely even more unhappy before they started. So I think the biggest shift between who I was then and who I am now is instead of always like looking at each venture as it's this end game, it's this accomplishment, it's this I must be recognized for my achievements, it's more of embracing what each one is as it unfolds and realizing that whatever's happening in your season right now, if you've been furloughed, you've been fired, you've lost your gigs, you've lost your clients, it is a stepping stone to whatever the next chapter is for you, whatever that's going to look like. And we just can't see that yet. That's why hindsight 2020, right? right? But we have to trust and and really dig into the fact that each chapter, if, as long as you're going as hard as you can, you're being aware of how you are managing your online and offline business. You you are successful right now. If you can find that balance right now for you. I mean, you were mentioning earlier that you said that what you like about me is the online offline thing. Look, everyone has different threshold for media consumption. Right. Right. Everyone's threshold is different. I am a big wimp. I watch anything on, on social media or anything on the TV. I mean, I was bawling, crying about the Black Lives Matter protest, bawling, crying on Instagram. I got like 400 messages from a lot of people of all colors that were, asked, were saying to me like, oh my God, thanks for being so, so open about how you feel. And you know, you're always... You always have your heart in your sleeve online. And I think it's it's like everyone has different levels of what that looks like for them. For me, I have to take breaks. Otherwise, my bucket is empty. And with what we do, we have to be pulling from a full well. Our, our well is empty. We can't pour into our friends and family and our tribes and our communities as well as we should be. So it's about recognizing what that is for you. And the scary thing is, the scary, scary thing, I have done probably five major digital detoxes in the last two years. I mean, for five or more days no social media, not checking anything. And the crazy thing is, is that when you get back online, every time you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, I'm going to have just missed so much. And the world is going to be so, and you get online, you're like, no one cared you were gone. You didn't miss anything. You just had an awesome week. You feel amazing. You sleep great. Like you missed nothing. And that's the scary part. It is. Yeah, it's humbling it's too. Humbling. It's, like a, yeah. it's like a whole grounding piece of it as well. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, you know, that like path, right? From like the 25 starting your first venture to yeah. now. Yeah. You know, I, I like to think like for me, like I, I kept believing or, you know, I was like, I'm passion and purpose driven, right? And there was this yeah idea that I wanted to have my dream job, which was a technology evangelist. Um, and I remember, like, I didn't know how to get there. 
but I knew like that was a job that I, at a, at a distance, I wanted to become. And weirdly, even as I changed in my life and all of those things, I still kept that as like a weird, you know, tack on the board. And then once I became, and I was kind of like, wait a second, like, I'm not the same person. I'm not like this, that, that whole thing had kind of changed. I'm curious for you, like what were, like, if you looked at that piece of it, like as your purpose and passion also kind of adjusted, or is there certain things? Cause some of the big clients that you had, you had big clients across everything you've ever done, right? If you looked at it from all of your businesses, I think there's, there's definitely going to be, there's a link there to your ability to connect, to deliver, um, to be vulnerable, but also to, to take those risks. But I'm sure there's also like that, that passion driven piece. Like where do you think that passion for what you wanted to become kind of, you know, intertwined itself within those different roles you've had? Well, I think what worked then definitely doesn't work now. I mean, when I ran Jump and then PMS.com, my other company, which was Dollar Shave Club for Women's Healthcare. Yep. Uh, yes, you heard that correctly, PMS.com. Uh, yeah, we you know, we were featured in Forbes. We got 20,000 women to sign up. I was, you know, driving to the port at Long Beach, grabbing uh, generic tampons from China, which I was on Skype calls with people who did not speak English in the middle of the night, negotiating stuff, learning about FDA regulations after the fact, investors breathing down my back, trying to learn e-commerce, which is a whole other, e-commerce is a whole other beast, plus doing the marketing. And you know what I found was that the, the social media piece was the easiest for me. And so what I mean by easy is that I, lo- I loved it. Right. I was having fun doing it and it was driving results. And so if you have those, you know, we have a mantra for our speaking business, you know, Hartman and I, and it's basically, we have three post-it notes. It's very fancy on our, on our, uh, uh, conference room, aka our uh, living room. Right now. I'm all for yeah, it. yeah, we, it's, mine's over here. Um, it's it's basically: are you are you having fun? Are you helping people? And are you making money? And we try to have all three boxes: have fun, help people, make money. Check with any decision that we're looking at, at least two of the three for sure. Um, and oftentimes, I think we only have one box checked, and that's when you find yourself down a road wondering how you got there, miserable, looking for a change, feeling stuck. So if you are feeling like that and you're watching this right now, have you asked yourself, okay, which am I having fun? Am I helping people making money? And if you're just making money, but you don't have the other two, that's how you come up short. So I think what worked back when I was younger as a business owner, raising capital for PMS.com, selling these large clients was a lot of the sort of old school, the more high level 30,000 foot view peppered with buzzwords with vague deliverables and focused more on the inner office politics of making your client look like a star. I mean, that was really what we spent a lot of our time doing. If you're a social media manager watching this, you know that at least half your job is just selling the executive team on why your budget matters to the bottom line or making them feel like they understand a medium that maybe they don't use or are not comfortable with. I mean, a lot of it is relationship management, expectation management, politics playing. And then the other half of your job is actually creating the content and getting it live. Now that's how it was when I was in in the, in the field, you know, nowadays what works for bringing clients on board, I think, um, is just a lot more vulnerability, a lot more authenticity. The brand that you walk, I mean, you're you're the perfect example of press the damn button. I mean, that is just, you go for it, you show up. Um, I was actually on a call er- earlier today uh, with my speaker management group, and they saw on my calendar that I was podcasting with you today. And they'd be like, they're like, Brian Fanzo, they're like, so he's a, a social media futurist. And they were trying to like explain who you were. And I was like, he's all of them. He's team no niche and he doesn't give a crap what you think about it. And they were like, he seems cool. I was like, he's the coolest. Oh, <laughs> so, you're the best. Yeah. But it's true. I mean, because this, this sort of 
way of managing clients and showing up online and telling your story and, and pitching your products and attracting clientele and driving revenue. This new sort of soft skill infused approach is really new. I mean, Brene Brown was really the first one bringing up vulnerability, yep. and these soft skills. Um, you know, I think even now I look at the backlash of what's happened with Rachel Hollis and Dave Hollis yep. divorcing. People are so upset because they feel like it wasn't like she wasn't being transparent, but she was selling transparencies. But people just feel like they're let down. And and I just think it's a really good lesson for all of us that even if it's embarrassing or shameful or upsetting, you can never, never go wrong is if you're just being as open as you possibly can and peeling back those layers, you know? So and I, and I think I love that you went there and I actually it segues perfectly into where I was going next. I, I like transparency is that interesting element because transparency and oversharing aren't the same thing, right? And yeah. being transparent. Transparent does not also mean that you share everything and you allow, you know, transparency is, and it, there's kind of like a, a moving line with that, right? Yeah. And I always, I remember listening to Brene Brown the very first time I'd ever saw her in person speak. And I, you know, huge fan, love everything yeah. that she's done. Great um, but I remember being very, very, uh, you know, and it's kind of like a kind of a point to me, which is for those that are going to tune into the end of this episode, uh, I'm going to press the damn button. I'm going to see what buttons I can press <laughs> on, on Aaron because I, for me, a lot of times, um, and Gary uh, Vaynerchuk has mentioned this to me before. Was like I got on Gary's radar because not, I, I was inspired, motivated, but I challenged and I pushed back and I disagreed with things. Yeah. And one of Bernays things was your vulnerability must be selective, and you get yep. to choose who you're vulnerable with. Because if you do not, you're you're opening yourself up to the, an array of uh, of different you know feelings and emotions, and also taking things on. Right. And this has been yeah. a uh, a thing for me to study in the last month or so was the difference between compassion and empathy. Mm. And uh, one of the things that I was kind of looking into was being empathetic in times where it's hard to walk in the shoes of Black Lives Matter. Yeah. But knowing that you want to make a difference, you start taking on stress of things you can't control yeah. in, in, in the empathy play. When you're compassionate, it's not that you're being you know, sympathetic for them, but you are compassionate. You feel you want to be an ally, but you're able to continue to be your best without taking on additional stress points yep. that you can't control. And, and I found myself feeling helpless and hopeless at multiple times in the last couple of months. Yeah. And that's not a feeling that I'm used to at all. Right, or um, you know, and I, you know, like as a whole, and I thought one of the interesting things on, you know, kind of you and I have talked about it in the past, but um, the psychology of persuasion, the book that you yeah. were given um, talk about a little bit, like in your life, as far as like reading that, was that something that you cared about? Like psychology, understanding influence and persuasion. Was that something you were, identified at the time or was it kind of like reading the book and realizing holy crap I do a lot of this and I can now formulate it like where did that fit in because I have a very similar one with Dale Carnegie's book and and I and I was like I wonder where you sit on that so like when you were um you know given that book where, where were you at and then what was it what was the impact it had on you when I was given Brene's book no when you were given uh the psychology of persuasion uh oh yes 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 um, so, well, we didn't have any training for my first job when I was out slinging TV ads. They just basically said, get the check, you get paid, call today. So my Bible was actually Jeffrey Gittimer's Little Red Book of Selling. It was dog-eared, underlined. I would literally read stuff in the parking lot and then go into the office, the dentist's office, the car dealership, the realtor's office, and I would just try stuff, just wild card, just 
literally read it and I would just try it on the fly. And I thought it was really interesting what got someone on board with you, whether you were on the phone or you were in person. It was always interesting how you go from someone crossing their arms, leaning back, like when you're a public speaker, right? right? There's always the haters, the doubters in the audience. And there's nothing better than seeing that you say something, you share a story, you create a moment or an experience and you see them uncross the arms and start to lean. Oh, yes. And then you're like, yes, got them, right? Come on in. Come on, come to my place, baby. So I will say that there is something to be said for back in the day, I just became very interested in how can you get someone to say yes to you? And going back to my dad, Tommy G, he's always said that you're always in sales. Everyone's in sales. I don't care what department you're in, what job you're in, whether you're like, I was selling customers to do TV advertising. Then I was selling investors. Then you're selling people from behind the screen to get them to convert. Then you're selling relationships. You're selling yourself. You're selling your brand. You're selling your idea, your mission. You're asking for that raise, that promotion, that new job, that new adventure, that permission. There's so many areas every day that we have to be able to position what we're trying to get done in a way that attracts someone and pulls them towards us. Unfortunately, if you don't pay attention to it and you don't take your time with it, you're going to push them away. And that's, that's what I see all day in my inboxes, whether it's LinkedIn or any, or anywhere else emails. So many people don't know how to show up from behind the screen. So circling back long story long to your original question, that book for me it articulated things that I had experienced in the field firsthand, giving 900 billion printed out <laughs> tree destroying PowerPoint presentations right. in real life. It articulated it into a strategic framework that made me say, oh my gosh, that's, that's what I'm doing. And I want to become even better because it's like persuasion and sales is like golf is like surfing, is like anything that's enjoyable in life. You can never perfect it like yoga. You can always go deeper. You can always elevate, always go wider. So um, I just think it's an interesting concept. Like think about all the great movies, all the great stories, all the great books. It's always that moment where someone persuades someone and that's when the action happens and the happy ending and the big resolution. So um and I think that, you know, it's something interesting you said on that too, because yeah. up until recently, I always said I was, I struggled with sales. Um, and our mutual friend, uh, Phil Jones, who I know you're, uh, we're, we're both big fans of, and he's had a yeah. big influence, um, on me. Um, you know, one of the things that realization I had working with him was that, you know, the, the process of sales, of building trust, of getting someone to say, yes, I was great at, I was bad at talking about money. Right. And, yeah. and there was a difference between that idea of persuasion and understanding nonverbal cues and a lot of the psychology that goes into it. Like I, I study and love that. I mean, uh, you know, my, my partner, Jennifer, uh, she's always like, you think so differently. Like you watch a documentary and like the things that you come out of it, like I couldn't even like see that. And I think, <laughs> you know, part of that is like that idea of trying to understand. I, I watched the Lance Armstrong documentary yesterday and I wear a live strong bracelet uh, on my wrist and, like a thing for me in my life has been, um, and I don't know what this says about me and, and maybe it's something that we'll discover on this show throughout the the times, but I love second chances. Like mm. Barry Bonds is one of my favorite baseball players and he has the steroid side of the house, right? Um, a big Ben Roethlisberger as a Steeler. Um, I always came to the defense. Yes, you're a Baltimore Ravens fan. Steelers. Go Ravens. We discovered that about each other early on and we still became uh, really good friends. Um, <laughs> but I've always been one that, um, and I've been talking a lot about this recently was that, you know, we are all human. We all make mistakes. Um, and social media is exposing that it's, it's, there is no question. Like the world is not worse and social media made it worse. It, the world has been 
really bad for really long and we've been able to hide it and sugarcoat it and disguise it yeah. and make things okay. And, yeah. um, and I mean, and I, you know, I think even through the black lives matter, you know, and you and I've had multiple conversations yeah. on our own discovery of uh, what we were naive to. And in certain things we thought we were doing uh, a benefit or we thought we were doing yeah. our, our job in the role. And in many cases we weren't. And I think that also comes into what we were talking about with Brene and transparency and vulnerability is that we, we want authenticity. We want transparency and vulnerability. It's going to be a theme of this podcast, I promise you, throughout, because my goal is that these are not buzzwords. These are things that are going to make the world a better place. But I would argue that our judging, our casting off of someone, uh, our, our ability to feel as though we were so wrong that we can never we can never forgive or we can never um, you know find a path uh, to forgive us and, and there are some things like we I think we all can have our own list of things like you do these things and I you know you're you're dead to me but like for me there there are these certain pieces of like yes you might not have been transparent you know um, and you know through the with Rachel Hollis and uh, Dave for the divorce thing and there might have been some things that are going on but like if someone hasn't gone through a divorce and if someone hasn't totally. been in the public eye and attempted to balance being a parent running a business together and being like I mean like think about all those variables and I think for many people in the you know let's just say the flip side of pressing them the damn yeah. button. Um, my dad always instilled in me that you work hard, you put your head down and you'll get rewarded for the work you do. Yeah. And I mean, my, I remember my dad saying that now my dad is the only person that talks more than I do. He can tell you more <laughs> stories than, than I ever could. Yeah. Every person he's ever flown on the airplane next to, he can tell you their life story, their background. He, he will, they'll, I mean, he is that I'm, I'm not that way with, uh, kind of the forced conversation, but my my dad is. But in that sense, and, and like where we're at now, I'm yeah. curious from your experience, the things, even the clients you're working with, you know, especially in the MLM space, so much of that is established trust and community. Yeah. And but there's a balance, and and, and I I actually have this plan for a future episode where I believe there's a big difference between a network and a community. A, a network is a group of people that are brought together by a person, right? So you're invited in by a person. And if that person leaves the, that group, then the group isn't as strong and you might leave because the person that brought you in left. A community is brought together because of a shared purpose or a common passion. And yeah. you are brought together because of that. Therefore, people will come and go, but that will not ultimately impact that that end result. And in the MLM space, those that do it really well have figured out that like beautiful mix and figuring out that transparency and balance. But as we look at a lot of this, you know, element, there are a lot of people that are going to say, you know, like, I think there's too much bad news and fake news. And I don't believe it's upon me to have to put myself out there or tell my story. And I'm just going to go about my, my business and my life. Uh, you know, I've been very vocal about um, silence being compliance yeah. in the, the Black Lives Movement piece. And a lot of it, people were taken as I was judging others. It was more of a marching call for myself because yeah. I, I felt as though I was an ally and I was a silent ally. And well, yeah, we, we preach what we need to hear the most, right? right? We preach the things that we want to hear. And and I, I, I agree with you when it comes to, first of all, two things. Backing up to the Rachel Hollis comment, I agree with you. You know, it's like Brene Brown's uh, Teddy Roosevelt quote about the person in the arena who's marred by 
by blood and sweat and dust and whatever that quote is. I mean, yeah, we've never walked in her shoes. We don't know what that journey has been like. I mean, she pulled off an incredible virtual event <laughs> right after COVID hit that I attended. I, I stayed there for six hours. And I, I remember no- watching it on your Instagram stories. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was like, this is incredible. I mean, I mean, that doesn't just happen. I mean, you, you're under an incredible amount of stress and, and, and scrutiny. And you read through the comments of, of what people are saying about, you know, the Hollis's and you're like, Gosh, it just reminds you how brutal the internet is. I mean, people, you know, there's something I talk about in my book. It's called the online disinhibition effect. And the online disinhibition effect basically suggests that it's the scientific phenomenon, a psychological phenomenon that psychologists use to describe when we have physical distance, when we have uh, asynchronistic communication, so a little delay, the little bubbles on the text message between each message, and the fact that we can't see people's nonverbal a lot of times, all these factors combine to lower our inhibitions and make us behave in ways that we wouldn't be bold or rude or dumb enough to in real life because it, it changes the way that we look at things. And so when you think about why people um, are silent and are com- are scared and are afraid, I mean, on one hand, you get it because the internet is brutal. And, and the truth is you're going to offend someone somewhere at some point. And, and people are so afraid of that, the one or two haters that holds them back from the 90 or 100 people that lean forward and say, oh my God, your story changed my day, changed my life, made me act differently, do differently. I mean, you, you, you post something, I think it was like, six, I don't know, a year, a year and a half ago, you posted something, some kind of a challenge about walking a walk that you're scared to walk. And it, it changed what I wear on stage and how I move and how I perform. And maybe some people saw that post and you probably had one or two people go, oh, what does he know? And scroll by. The truth is, you know, right now more than ever, People say we're on this roller coaster. I don't think we're on a roller coaster. I think a roller coaster is actually easier than where we are right now because a roller coaster, you can see when a dip is coming. You can see when a hill is coming. You can at least kind of plan and prepare yourself a little bit to hold on tighter or take a deep yes. breath. This is more like a turbulent flight, and you don't know when we're going to land. There's no unknown no on a roller coaster. Roller coaster, you the, the unknown is eliminated. You know where the track is exactly. going. Right? Like, that is a very valid it's point. It's true, and, and in, in in, the, in those types of times, people are so afraid to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. But to your point, when you don't show up and you don't tell your story and you don't draw a line in the sand, you stand for nothing. You're, you're trying to be everything to everyone. And you are nothing to no one. And so I have found it just so inspiring and so invigorating and energizing to see how everyone has shown up in this season of very complex, deeply, deeply complicated issues and moments and movements. And, and I think that, um, when you look at how much you're showing up, I, I kind of think of it like a dial. I think of like a volume, yep. you know, I mean, I mean, at least push the damn button, turn the thing on in the first place. That's baseline. Right. That, that's crawl. Walk and run is, you know, no one wants it to be full blast all the time right. where, at, you know, where everyone's like, oh my God, stop. Right. But you also don't want to be so low that no one hears you. You don't make your mark. You don't, you don't, you don't stake your claim. You don't participate in the conversation. So I try to look at mine as a volume and like, do I need to amp it up a little bit or dial it back depending on how you, how you've been showing. And I remember you you were telling me that when we were riding in the car together and I remember (laughs) really liking that, like that dialing up and down. And for me, that really where press the damn button comes in because you don't know what works or what doesn't until you try it. But then once you figure that out, it's now your job is put a strategy behind it to figure out the balance. Like I, 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 I want to make sure that's apparent for the, you know, the audience, especially when we think about it, it's not, you know, putting things out there and throwing against the wall. Um, I'm not a big believer. I feel like I was 
early on in my career of faking it till you make it. Um, I believe now it's trying things out, learning from it, reevaluating it, testing it, and then tweaking yeah. it and, you know, as you move forward. And, and you mentioned, and for those that are listening to the show, they're like, didn't wasn't the, the the topic something about sneakers and lacing up? Oh yeah. So what? So your your piece of this when we connected, we connected on our love for sports, surfing, life, our digital connection, the passionate. Yeah. Um, also, you know, we like bright colors. We both are you know are vibrant. Um, and you know, this for me, be yourself is a big mantra. And you know, a couple of things that you said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back to in a second. But there was also for me, my worry about being judged offline. Um, was something that I was really good at hiding and yeah. online it was something I never felt I needed to hide because there was the one or two people that connected but there was also these times where like things like you know I posted that post and you know I had watched you on video and watched you you, you uh um, talk and we I was I think I'd actually was pitching you um just before that uh to speak and you know so I made that comment about, you know, walking your walk and also, you know, setting yourself up to success and doing it your way, right? Like, yeah. so like I wear the hat, um, you know, people always said like, oh, you were trying to find your Steve Jobs. And I was like, no, I went to a place where I was uncomfortable Yeah. and I've worn a hat since I was in middle school every day, always, yeah. through, you know, like I was that kid that like when they made the rules about pagers and hats um, in high school, you weren't allowed to have either one inside the building. People would call it the Fanzo rule because they're like, you're the only one we knew that would affect both. Like you were the only one with a pager <laughs> and um, with a hat. But I'm, you know, I, I think that is such an interesting piece. So yeah. for you being yourself and, you know, kind of rolling with what, you know, like, Hey, you weren't caring about makeup or, or that kind of things until, you know, early twenties being adventurous. Yeah. But Give us a little bit of that little piece on um, kind of discovering your sneakers, I guess is what we say that. Well, you had posted something about challenging us to walk a walk we were scared to walk. And I always was wearing these heels from my corporate days presenting. And if you've ever worn a pair of heels, which I don't think you have, but maybe you I have. have not, not yet. Um, I will just say that they, your dogs are barking. I mean, I don't care if you buy the most expensive. You know, I grew up watching Sex in the City in, in college and thinking that, you know, SJP would always say the shoes, the shoes. And so that was where we were kind of taught. Well, I, I have, you know, I have massive wide feet and my feet hurt when I wear heels. So I would carry them to the stage, clomp around like a kid playing dress up. And like towards the end of the 45 minutes, I'd be like, I cannot wait to take these heels off. And it was actually like getting in my head when I was on stage. It was That's how bad my feet were hurting. And I tried every kind. So I'd take them off after and clunk back to the room wearing my sneakers. And so one day I was backstage about to put my heels on and I saw your post. And it said, like, be brave enough to walk your own walk. And I thought, what if I literally walked my own walk in these black high tops, which do not go with my preppy J. Crew bright pink dress for this corporate audience? And I don't know what possessed me, but I took your dare and I ran out on stage for the very first time. I felt so comfortable and free and physical and and happy just being who I am, which is a skater, surfer, you know, snowboard kind of chick who likes high tops. And I got my very first standing ovation ever from that. And so if you're ever afraid to challenge your network or to share something, that is how much, how powerfully you can affect someone. And it was funny because breaking that one little rule, it led to this snowball effect and ignited all these more carefree decisions and me feeling more empowered to not conform to what corporate was supposed to look like, but to do my own thing. And, and I think the biggest thing that I, I ran away from literally that I cast off that day, which if you're watching this, maybe this is going to hold you back is 
this unrealistic idea of making everybody happy and being everything to everyone. I mean, John Krasinski's Good News Network. I mean, if you've seen any yep. of his YouTube videos, guy got millions and millions of people smiling in a dark period. Yep. 4,000 people have thumbs down Good News Network. 4,000 people were like, nope, I don't want good news in the end of days. So that was to me when I saw that. I was like, if John Krasinski cannot make the internet happy, nobody can. So just give <laughs> up. Give that, up. And, yeah, and that's such an important piece because you press the you damn know? button and went for it, right? And yeah. what what happens after, it might not have been the fact you were going to continue to wear sneakers. It might have been the fact that it opened you to delivering content differently or you're, you were able to, you know, whatever that may be. And I think that's part of the, the byproduct too of – when you're trying something new and putting things out there, this is this is something I stress a lot is that yes. when you're changing or doing something different, we oftentimes look at that and say, I need to do this because I did something else wrong or it's the result of bad decisions. Yes. And I think that's completely false. It's the result of all decisions that have allowed you to come to that point to pivot or to change yeah. or to go after this new thing. But it doesn't okay. mean it's not scary. It doesn't mean you will not fail. Yeah. And I love, I love that you went there and then it's kind of opened up things because there's also a beauty in once you start getting there and, and we, the idea of trying to make everyone happy. Oh my goodness. That was a marching order for me. Um, I mean, big time. And it yeah. really wasn't until I separated um, with my marriage that lifelong friends just didn't want to talk to me anymore. And I got judged in ways that I never even saw coming. And I remember being like a feeling of, of helpless, hopeless, not expecting, but also realizing that like, I have to figure out my new circle and figure out, you know, and, and one of the things that, you know, I've done in the last 18 months is like, I prioritize our friends, right? Yeah. You and I are both speakers and I have people that I love being friends with and I enjoy the friendship, but I, I leave it uh, on that side. And then there's people that I am friends with and that are our peers but I allow them to influence me on decisions within the business because I believe they're aligned with the way that I want to do business, yes. the way that I want to grow my brand, right? And yes. previously it was like, oh, if it's my peer and my peer said that they're doing it this way and that peer is more successful than me, I just chased after it. And then I realized like, they're not even trying to build the same business and the, and the right. same pieces. And I think for you, like, it's there's also an element of like, being yourself has always been there and there's you know, parts of our lives. Um, and so for those that are listening, I know we're, we're um, into the, the second part here and I'm going to do the little pressing your buttons a little bit. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I think part of this comes into, you know, big fan of your husband. I know you're um, a big fan of his, but it's actually more exciting because he is your biggest fan. And um, I love the guy before I met him because of that. <laughs> and I could feel that. And, um, yeah. and which Thank is, you. you know, the exciting thing that I think we're, we all look for. And, Interestingly enough, he's not a huge fan of the social media or being on video or uh, if you watch Aaron on Insta it. stories. Um, <laughs> but he is very, very social, very engaged. We had a blast together. Yeah, uh, I would hang out with him uh, any day. So I'm curious from like this, uh, you know, not you know pressing it, but like when you were when things happen, and I know the story of where you and Hartman met and such. But like when you look at it, I think there's there's also this idea of of that balance, right? And and if you're like, oh, if, you know, if I have my partner and we're both transparent and, and public on social media, then yeah, I would do it. But like, I could never do it. Insert excuse. How do you look at that? How do you look at that piece? Because there is like that, you know, juxtaposition. And, and I had that with, you know, with um, the mother of my children um, being a school teacher and not 
um, being all in on social, but yeah. super supportive of what I've did. And now I kind of have the opposite where I have, uh, you know, Jennifer who was on camera meteorologist, the weather channel and such. So I'm curious just from your side, when you approach that, or you look at it, is there, is there part of you that was like, I wonder what it is with someone that's like super social or that like, Hey, there's, it's the yin and yang or yeah. like, how do you look at that as a whole? Okay. So, so most social media gurus, experts, which of course everyone in the entire world that has a Facebook account <laughs> thinks they are. The reality is, is that most people give this advice. Well, it's better to have your footprint out there. It's better to do something rather than nothing. And in most cases in life, I always agree. It's better to do a little something than nothing. That's better scary. late than never. I usually agree with that. When it comes to social media, I do not agree with that advice at all. I believe that social media is something you got to be in or out. And you need to figure out what works for you. So many times I have clients that I work with in consulting gigs after on my, on my social media spa course. And some people that, that you and I both know, by the way, will literally, they're like in this social media purgatory of trying to reconcile. They know they should be on it, but they don't want to be on it. They, they know for their business that, that, that they really should, but they just don't feel, if you're not comfortable pressing the damn button, if you're not comfortable showing up, then maybe it's not for you. But what you have to remember is you're going to lose business, visibility, deals, awareness. So it's like, what is your end game? What is your goal? What is your why? If your goal is I need to get out there in a way that I haven't before because the world has changed and being physically together is not possible, can you get over it and probably go over to one side and lean in and try it? Probably. My husband, zero social media. Me, full on social media. The frustration comes, but then I'll go dark, by the way, for a whole week yeah, where it's supposed sure. to be overwhelmed. But the frustration and the anxiety and the, I don't know why social media is not working for me or I can't figure out my strategy or it's just so, uh, all of that comes from not pressing it all the way. Yeah. Go in and commit to it like a diet and exercise program. Give it a week, give it a month, give yourself a time frame and say, I'm going to go all in on this and see how it works. If you're finding that your mental health is suffering and you can't sleep, then take a break or get off. But what you might find is that you are on this platform and you are building these rich relationships and you are able to reach new audiences and your business is taking on an entirely new format that maybe wasn't even on the radar for you before COVID. You have no idea until you try. And so that's why I love your phrase so much. It's, it's an encouragement to just jump in the water and see See how it feels for you. And, and, and there is the right speak, answer. It is. And and speaking of water, uh, Julia Amalberg, who I actually uh, coached her son in high school hockey in Arizona, she said she's floating around in the pool here in Arizona uh, <laughs> listening to the both of you. But this is what I thought was right. She said, this is so interesting. You were discussing business and I'm applying it to my personal life. And uh, Julie, was she was, an ama she was a, the hockey mom that ran our team. And to be honest, she's the reason my brother and I even coached because she kept us in line and, and was just an, an all around amazing uh, uh, person. And, and uh, you know, shout out to Arizona and those that are out there. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you know, that's an interesting piece too, because business and personal with this idea of authenticity, connecting and finding your tribe, you know, is something important and it's not generational, right? Like you were talking about your husband not being it. Like yeah. I have two younger brothers. My middle brother, Jeff is 10 X more successful than I am in business, owns multiple business, does VC stuff in commercial real estate, owns multiple companies, multiple houses, and is not a social media person. Like he posted like six times on Instagram stories this week um, while he's down in North Carolina. And I was like, 
I think it's the most he's ever done in one week. <laughs> and I remember there was a little me for a while that people were like, Brian, why would I believe you on pressing the damn button when you can't even get your brothers? And I have a younger brother who is outgoing and fun like me, but always looked at social media as this like balance of bragging and not really caring. And also, let's just say he wasn't always the motivated person to do that. He, he'd prefer uh, other <laughs> recreational activities to um, that side of it. But um, <laughs> one of the things that you said earlier, and I wanted to kind of come back to this because yeah. this was not a plant. But um, we the the idea of trolls on social media. So oh. I'm of course live streaming this for everyone that's out there, and we have uh, I'm live streaming a Periscope, and somebody that of course has a, a mannequin as an icon, um, Cleveland Brown Rule Six, which you know Baltimore Ravens and Steelers. We already aren't a fan before we've even read the post. Um, but Ew. he posted on Periscope while we uh, we were talking, and I'm, uh, he said this guy looks like the world's biggest poser. <laughs> So that was what he just posted on Periscope. And, so- and I share this because the idea of putting yourself out there and you know, live video is where I found my voice. It was like, I wasn't looking for a place to tell my story, but live, someone had inspired me to press the damn button on live video. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, if something screws up, I say perfection's a fairy tale. If all of a sudden I have to end early, I'm like, control, it's an illusion. I can't really control what's going yes. on around me. And people... The, my most successful live streams were ones where things went wrong and I like I my my standing desk was falling down and I had a live stream going and I reached out and I caught my beer falling and I let my brand new laptop crash to the ground and it was like one of those things too like you didn't realize it when it happened yeah but there's also this you said something earlier and I think you and I have kind of talked about it I wouldn't say debate but like there is this idea like for live video, the reason live video, the trolls exist is because they can see your instant reaction. But look at this like, guy. Like, he doesn't even have a profile picture. He's not even yet. in the arena. Doesn't even have the guts to show up in his profile picture, let alone. So this is this guys, this is a perfect point, Brian. I'm sorry to interrupt yep. you. No, this, is a- this is the perfect point. Not only is this hilarious, it's like reading the world's meanest tweets on uh, Jimmy Fallon, which is hilarious, <laughs> but it's like this guy won't even show, but people hide behind screens. And so you have to, I mean, I will say I get anywhere from three to five devastatingly, horrendously mean troll comments in my DMs a day, a day. And real quick, and, for for those yeah. men that are out there yeah, and we like to relate ourselves to like trolls and things that are out there until you experience somebody, either a girlfriend, a friend posting on social media and what women have to deal with. I, I was yeah. naive, much like I was naive to Black Lives Matter and my silence being not an ally. I was very yeah. naive to helping people like, hey, you have to roll with the trolls. And sometimes some people say things. And then I had all of these good female friends that would allow me to see their DMs. And and it wasn't like, we're not talking dick pics. We're talking like yeah. horrendously you know, comments, right? And like there's... Yeah. Part of it is both of us admitted earlier that we have you know a, a love for trying to please everyone and we kind of learned how to get over that. And one of the things that I always talk about is that like screenshot awesomeness, right? Yes. Like I, I focus on the awesome totally. comments. But I also have have come really good at identifying that when someone comments like my good friend Cleveland Brown rules six, thank you for this, by the way. Yeah. Um, his post of calling me the world's biggest poser um has 
way more to do about his opinion, his view, and his own self-esteem than it has anything to do with me. And that when you start to think of it that way, I've always looked at it and said, I would love to reach out to him and say, what things is he struggling with? And what, would he like me to help him start telling his story? Right. Because yeah. if he's looking at, you know, like that identif you know, that identification and, you know, I love the live audience that we have here. I shout out to, um, could be both shout out to Meerkat from the early streaming days. Um, our good friend, amazing friend, Tamsin Webster, uh, with Tamsin, I, I did a video today. It's going up on my YouTube channel and I give a big shout out to red thread, uh, red because thread. I was talking about, virtual host and connecting these stories across the board. And uh, actually one of my good high school friends uh, that we were in Boy Scouts together in like maybe middle school and early high school, Marshall Handy is watching. Just another, hey, I'll tell you what, the thing about, you know, social media and I talk about this a lot is that we have the ability to reach the world and, and you never know who's watching or who's telling the story. But you made the comment too a little bit earlier that was like, there is something to be said about like, figuring out where you're at. And I remember you were telling me about yeah. prioritizing your Instagram account. And uh, guys, do me a favor, check out uh, Miss uh, MRS dot uh, Aaron dot King um, over there on Instagram. Um, your account's been blowing up. You put out great content, um, great Instagram stories, teaching and uh, giving us access into who you are. And I remember you kind of honing in on that. And I'm active on all the social channels. Yeah, but when I ask so people, good. when I give it people advice, I never tell them to do what I'm doing, right? Like that's never, that's never the piece. And it, it fits how I do things. It's kind of the way that I, that I operate. But you know, one of the things that I discovered, I'm curious of your thoughts, was that when I was being public talking about ADHD and all the things that, you know, transparent things that I was sharing, yeah. I found it actually easier to discuss them online on social media than I did in person. And, sure. and, but, and that was a, you know, a big piece. And that can be everything from having talks about sex or having talks about things that you're struggling with. And I have uh, an amazing uh, uh, sexual psychologist that's coming on as one of our guests. And she's been a, a friend, a friend through live video, and she's going to be uh, one of our guests. But I'm curious for like, you know, that, that, that part where you were getting horrible, you're getting these horrible messages and you're getting these things. There's a lot of people that will continue to use that as a crutch to not put themselves out there. Oh, and I've yeah, always yeah, said, yeah. you're now giving the power to someone that you don't know that you shouldn't care about. And they're preventing you from doing what you should be doing. How, how do you look at that in your, in your sphere of like, because we both are very emotional people yeah. and we both um, will like it or not. We get, there's some things that get to us that probably publicly people are like, there's no way that gets to you. And, and like yeah. Aaron and I are messaging each other like, this sucks. Um, but like, how, how would you look at, how do you look at that? Because there is, yeah. especially for females, it's yeah. a whole different world. Well, I have a really, so my, my answer to this is so not strategic and wise. And so if you guys listen to this, I'm not saying you have to, this is what I do. I'm not saying this is like the genius answer. Okay. But what I do is. I think about my idol, who is Reese Witherspoon, by the way. Um, I think about Reese Witherspoon, same birthday, not a big deal, but we're basically like best friends. Um, but I think about someone like Reese Witherspoon, and I think to myself, all right, I'm nobody on the internet, and I get these people hating on me. Imagine how many athletes, celebrities, whoever you look up to, whoever is your Reese Witherspoon or your person, imagine how much hate they get man or woman on a daily basis and they're still out there changing the world, doing their thing, going for it. They're not immune to it either. And they're still pressing on. So I use it as a little bit of inspiration. Like I bet Reese got 90 times the hate mail today. And also my husband always says, he's like, if you're not getting sued or trolled 
are you even doing anything cool? Well, and I think that, you know what? I like that because like, there's okay. also an idea of pressing the damn button and saying nothing. And I think there's a lot of people yeah. that won't yeah. take a stand on anything. And I'm a big believer, like, find out what works for you. Like you are the one that wakes up in the morning and looks in the mirror and decides what's important and what you value. Yeah. And I believe, but taking a stand for nothing, nothing really does you no favors and, and puts you out there. And for people that are in the no niche space and you, you, you kind of play in that arena and then niche down uh, and found some gold in there. And I'm a big believer. I, I did the previous episode of this. I talked a little bit about my thoughts there. And I love people that find a niche and double down. Yeah. Those of you that don't have it, you have to do things differently. And I think one of the mistakes that people without a niche or niche, whatever, um, have is that. Is it niche or niche? I don't know. It's let's, like, it's let's like, decide. What is I have it? no. I, I say niche, and then niche almost every time people here. will challenge back. But yeah, I wonder what the the, the live audience can charm in. And, are you guys, and those are you that, nichers or nichers? Niche sounds like snitch, whereas niche how, how sounds like friend. Different to decide what it is. I think, I think we call it niche, and we just go for it. Tam, like Tam, like are you, niche, niche. Okay, well, Tam's is the smartest person we know, yeah, so it's pretty niche. much. What do you, do you say GIF or GIF? So, so that's another one. So I say GIF. Same. Yeah. yeah. So like, yeah. yeah, it's like a. Like a little gift yes. that you give yeah. people. That's what I say. Okay. All right. And, and like, That's I, the important part. Things have been resolved. But yeah. So, okay. so <laughs> I think, you know, we look at that whole press the damn button. We look at putting ourselves out there. We look at being transparent. We look at this idea of like taking a stand, um, and especially right now. And, and, you know, I was really interested. I, I watched um, the sports center documentary last night um, where they were interviewing all of the commissioners from all the sports leagues. Oh, wow. and there was an entire group of people that said, Hey, sports people stay in your damn lane. Don't talk about wow. politics wow. or black lives matter or uh, LGBTQ or any of that stuff. And there's also the, in my opinion, these same people that said, why don't they stand for something and why don't they use their platform for good? Right. And like, there is a weird balance of like, you can't please everyone in that scenario. But I, I do look at where we're at as a country in the sense of we, you know, and this is the staple of the show yeah. is, you know, I believe we can't, if, if we give more airtime, more focus to bad news and fake news, all it does is continue to drown out the good in the world. Yeah. But if we start telling good stories, we start taking a stand, we start highlighting and providing perspective. I mean, think about the, I mean, if you look at the New York Times bestseller list right now, the books on the top 10 New York Times bestseller, it is beyond expiring, inspiring because it's a lot about understanding white privilege and understanding. I mean, yeah. I went back and watched the Baltimore uprising documentary that I watched eight years ago or seven years ago when it came yeah. out and I watched it again. It was like, like I was bawling. I mean, crying my eyes out. Right. Yeah. I think this is yeah. that spot too. I like that you connected this to celebrities and those that are putting it out there because here, here's where I think I would love to kind of give you kind of the last words on this episode on, on where we're going here with what this is all about is that, if we truly do want to make the world a better place yeah. and we do believe that there are good people doing good things in our life, people that we, that we know that there, there also has to be a time where there are things that are no longer okay because of the status quo. They're no longer okay yeah. um, because they were taboo talk topics to talk about. Even, even the idea that we were raised saying, don't talk about religion or politics. It almost allowed religion and politics to have this weird bubble to where, power. I mean, like yeah. my, my priest growing up was accused of, of child um, molestation oh and wasn't able to um, marry me when I was uh, uh, getting married. And he was one of our closest friends 
only to find out about a month after our wedding, the person completely made it up because they were just trying to get some money from the Catholic Church. But at that time, it was too far down the path. He was uh, he was ostracized, um, and you know Awful. he's doing great now. He owns a couple zeros and lives in uh, uh, zero sub shops and lives in Richmond. Um, but I you know like for me that was my first lesson in like people will judge and throw you out and make. Uh, have their opinions. And even in this case, sometimes of it being right or being wrong, um, the Lance Armstrong thing, the, you know, sports players having, having a, a say, but I also believe that if what we're looking at is love is love and we all as humans are more alike than we are different yeah. and that together we need to raise the bar. Like we owe it to to each other we owe like it's not just for my kids it's for us right now on moving that needle and so Aaron you inspire me you motivate me you were without question my number one choice to have as my first guest because you do a great job of putting it out there being a great friend being a great leader but also being very humble and down to earth and um, knowing what you're all about you you the the our friendship although we feel like we've been friends for uh, 10 years is you know like uh, a little over uh, two years old, I think two and a half years old. Um, yeah. But when you look at this all and, and you look at where yeah. we're moving forward, what what keeps you positive? What keeps you optimistic? And what excites you the most? Well, okay. First of all, before I answer that, backing it up for one second, I will say that educating myself on white privilege has been an absolutely mind-blowing, um, draining, uh, upsetting, needed experience. I mean, I, those top 10 books, I bought three of them on Amazon. The one I'm reading right now is um, I'm sick of talking to white people about race and I'm halfway through. And it's, it's just, it's such a, an, it's so it, it, it's, it's emotionally layered, but just because it's hard and exhausting and makes you feel all kinds of even worse feelings does not mean that you should not roll up your sleeves and put in the work. Um, I am, I am so committed to, learning and listening and challenging what I thought I knew. And it is tiring. I went off social media for a week because I was so tired, but it's like too bad. Guess how tired people are of racism. You think you're tired of hearing about it and working on it and thinking about it. They're tired of it freaking being a thing the last 400 years. So get over it and do the work. So that's, that's where I, 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 love, I love you brought that up real quick because I have a sticky note downstairs um, in my, in my house and you know, I'm living by myself and I, I just wrote there. It said, um, Brian, if this is draining, imagine what everyone else has been going right. through. Because right. I, I've been working hard at having tough conversations and, yeah. and taking a stand and you know losing yeah. Facebook friends and Instagram friends. And, yeah. and and to me, this is also one of those things that people are gonna find their own way about how they want to share and 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 that discovery. But I'm glad you brought that up because there's yeah. there it is it is difficult. Self-awareness is hard. Yeah. And Honest self-awareness requires you to, to really be true to yourself and realize, like, I got some work to right. do, and I, if, I better put in the work because it's going to be rewarding at the end. Totally. And if we think learning about it is hard, how do you think living about it is? I mean, they are living, oh, we're tired because learning about it is really exhausting on us. Boo-hoo. Get over yourself. It's it's so important, and so it's so critical. So that has been very eye-opening for me. I can't even – I can't recommend it enough that wherever you are – to open up a book and just dive, just get one book right now on yep. Amazon. When you're watching this, open it up in a browser, ignore us, open a browser, buy a book and just start reading it because it is, it is so important to become 
open and educated on these topics. It is, it's, it's literally, and, and the companies and the brands and the people that are doing like the check the box post, you know, the super, um, no pun, super vanilla emails and the super, um, just resharing, reposting, uninspired, you know, press the damn button and share with the world. Even if you don't know what to say, it's better to say the wrong thing than to say nothing because at least you're coming from a place of trying and service and opening. And even if one person sees that post, I can't tell you, I mean, I, I will send you some of the DMs that I got from oh. my post um, on the day we did, we did like a little run for um, for the Black Lives Matter movement. It was like the same amount of time that he was held uh, down by the police officer. That was long we had to run for Orange Theory. It was awesome. But I remember I was I was running and w- what was the time? It was like eight minutes and, and something yeah, 846. seconds. 8.46. So it was 8.46 run and it was right around minute five or six and I wasn't, I, you know, you're working out. So I kind of forgot for a second why I was doing it. Cause you just like, I started off really like intentional and emotional. Then you start running, you kind of forget. So I was running and all of a sudden I'm heading up a hill without even thinking. To myself, I go, oh God, I'm like, I can't even breathe. Ugh. And I was bawling, crying, because it was Ugh. such a long time. Yep. Anyway, I'm like revisiting, but it's like, and, it's, and then anyway, it's so important. It is. And, and do, the do the thing, do the work. And, and we know we, even if you're tired, it's so important. And I, I just, I'm, I've taken a lot of pages out of your book um, from seeing how you've been responding and reacting. And, and um, you know, I think I've learned a lot from Mike and Nino is another one yes, who has really so opened my eyes. He's going to be so on the much. show. Mike and I are going to show. Um, uh, also, I have uh, really Jared, Jared in Gaza, um, who is um, an activist, um, someone that I met a little over a year ago. And I can tell you, I've had some of the most profound conversations of my life uh, with Jared. I was on his podcast. He's going to come on uh, the show uh, in a week as well. And he is um, an activist, uh, just a, a, a visionary. Um, and uh, his, his actually family is big into the marketing space and we connect on that side. And uh, I, I saw Brian Arnold posted uh, over there on uh, Facebook as well, talking about it being uncomfortable, but necessary topic of the time and defining moment. And, mm. you know, and, and, it, and it is, you know, part of this comes down to, and, and we can even like, we can even take a step back and look at this even in a, you know, a bigger piece of this is that we have this ability to tell the world stories and give people access to what's going on in the world. Yes. If we're not willing to change with this access, what the hell are we going to become? What right. the, like, you know, like this is, you know, like, and I talk about that all the time for me growing up in Pittsburgh, like my exposure to the world of like what was going was very limited to like Virginia beach and Pittsburgh. Cause we went to vacation on Virginia beach or to ocean city, Maryland and Pittsburgh. Like, and a lot of my family, um, my dad's on my dad's side of the family have never left the city of Pittsburgh. Like yeah. they, they, they wouldn't visit us. And, and yet like my daughters have Skyped with friends that are in Australia. I've traveled to 76 countries. We've hung out, um, uh, on the Island off the uh, coast of California, Catalina. Catalina Island. And so I think you know, like part of this is like, not only telling stories, putting things out there, but pressing the button and figuring it out. Like for me, one of the things that I've kind of tried to do recently was like almost test out messages that were, Hey, this is my thoughts. And I don't know how people are going to react. And previously I might've risked first reward that, but I'm like, you know what? Times are so different. I'm going to test what this response is. And then I'm going to learn from it. And I'm going to learn how does that make this person feel? And then how does that make that person feel? And I think that's what this all comes to. And I think you know, like pressing the damn button, like the button to me. And, and I'm going to wrap on this. Cause this is, this was you. We were out there on that 
you know, sitting there drinking wine, watching the sunset. And, um, and I talked about, for me, empathy was the big piece about pressing the damn button. Yeah. That if we give people access to us, it allows people to be empathetic towards who we are. And it allows us to share our heart, but also allows people to understand what's going on inside. And you made the comment of like, you should do something with like a heart and um, you should you know, connect those dots. And so for those that um, have seen the podcast graphic, and I will throw it up there over my head. Oh, uh, yeah, um, there it is. Oh, yeah, so that's the podcast graphic. Um, yeah, touch the heart. Here, let's see. Oh, there you go. It's up there too. Um, so I have the heart good. in the middle of the button, but also the heart in the middle of the O of my last name, um, because I think it does come down to heart and it comes down yes. to finding your people and making the world a better place and spreading the love and things that we're doing. Yeah. And Aaron, you are a rock star. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate you coming on and like literally me giving you very little background and saying, Hey, roll with me. Let's have some fun. And yeah, I love the did. comments and everyone that's, that's chatting. Um, I will make sure all of your stuff is in, uh, the show notes, uh, Digital Persuasion is a book out there that you guys will make sure you get your hands on. New book, I know you've been working on it. Is there, is there anything you want to tease on that? Or New book is still in the works, but if you want to check out my online course, the socialmediaspa.com is go. a two to three hour experience, um, self-guided modules to help you elevate the way you're showing up online, especially in today's complex, tough times. So Love it's all about how to offer opportunity without seeming opportunistic and how to really come from a place of service. So right up your alley. And that's all, you know, attitude of gratitude. And attitude I of gratitude, that, baby. I love that's your mantra. And I love that, you know, together we, we can all learn, we can connect and hopefully yeah. uh, make this world Change a better the world. Place. Yes, yeah, man. So uh, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Feel free to share your questions. Just use the hashtag press the damn button. Um, also more information coming um, from our sponsors, some cool things we have in the works there. Also, Erin um, teased about her book. Uh, actually, I have the, I think the next three guests have books coming out um, this fall. Uh, Brant Menzoir is one of the uh, upcoming guests as well. Oh, Black Sheep. Um, Yes, Black Sheep's coming out. Bala so cool. um, Afsfar is one of our upcoming guests. Um, the amazing Crystal Washington is going to join us um, as one of the upcoming guests as well. Uh, I'm going everywhere. I'm a no niche. Um, let's share stories and have conversations. Yeah. And we're going to have some fun with this and go places. Hopefully inspire some button pressing, but also press some buttons. And uh, Aaron, it's a pleasure. And uh, thanks again. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Remember, go above and be on to let people know you care. It's amazing how a simple thank you, a simple high five, a simple smile, or even just sending an emoji back to tell someone that they matter or what they're doing makes a difference. I tell you, each one of those that you get is just as another notch to keep us going and keep us keeping on. So uh, I challenge you, my friends, do something today yeah. to show you care about others and uh, we'll all do make this place a better place. So thank you, friends. Cheers. So let's, uh, Miss Aaron King, uh, what's up? Hey, Bray. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great, except I have a giant logo over my head. Um, yeah. Know, I know it's, it's fun how that works, right?